0: Welcome to Episode 4 of Hysteria. Today we are reading Flowering Evil by Margaret St. Clair, published in 1950. Margaret St. Clair was born in 1911 and lived a very unconventional life for a woman of the early 20th century. She was raised without siblings, relying mostly on books for company. She earned a Master of Arts in Greek classics, frequented nudist colonies, was childless by choice, and was a practicing Wiccan. She entertained many jobs, including statistician, horticulturalist, and laboratory assistant. This propensity toward the sciences makes it unsurprising that her writing favored science fiction. As an avid gardener and horticulturalist, it's no surprise that one of her most popular stories is about a plant. The flowering evil brings into sharp focus the contrast of science and fantasy against a traditional post-war domestic backdrop, something that must have felt rather familiar in St. Clair's day-to-day life. Yet the ending of this story serves to tell us what Margaret St. Clair believed about women's ability to handle both.
1: Captain Bjornsson shook a grizzled head. I never saw a plant I like the looks of less, he said. I don't know how he got it through the planetary plant quarantine. You take my advice, Amy, and watch out for it. He took another of the little gula nut cookies from the quaint old lucite plotter and bit into it appreciatively. Mrs. Dinsmore sniffed. I don't know what you're driving at, she said coldly. Or why are you so prejudiced against my poor little rambler? You know perfectly well that Robert would never send me anything the least a bit dangerous. Captain Bjornson paused with another cookie halfway to his lips and looked at her. Wouldn't send you anything dangerous, he exclaimed. Why, Amy, have you forgotten how your face was swelled up for two weeks from that tree cutting he sent you? What about that time that cactus from the blue desert went to sea, and I spent 36 hours picking spines out of you? I know how fond you are of Bob, and I know you don't like me to mention his mistakes. I'll grant you he means well. So what? He's flighty, scatterbrain, and brash. Mrs. Dinsmore pulled the lucite platter so far over to her own side of the table that Bjornson couldn't get another cookie from it without getting up and stretching along the tablecloth. I don't agree with you, she said distantly. Robert is a splendid fellow, so thoughtful and considerate. He takes a real interest in my soap carvings, And how many young men with an important position like his, third mate of a space freighter with a regularly scheduled run, would remember to send back plans from every port of call to an aunt on Earth? The captain cast a wistful look at the cookie plate. Well, don't say I didn't warn you, he replied. When's Bob due in port? Mrs. Dinsmore's face relaxed. Around the 25th, she said. He sent me a gram. Here, have another cookie. I must think of some little thing to cook for him as a surprise." The captain snaffled a handful of cookies from the plate, and stood up to go. "'Your ordinary cooking's good enough for me,' he declared. "'But if you mean something like those little shrimps fried in batter you had the last time we was here, go ahead,' and watch for that plant." He stalked off across the lawn. "'He's getting old,' thought Amy Dinsmore, watching the gruff old cadre limp around the flower bed positively old. She set the dial on the robot gardener on the front lawn to weeding dandelions and started along the path that led to the little hothouse where most of the plants Robert had sent her were growing. Even in the deep tropics, Terra was, with few exceptions, too cold and dry for them. The Martian subjects, on the other hand, were in a psychoplex lean-to with hygroscopes and a battery of infrared lamps to keep the temperature up during the day. The heavy, moist air of the house made Amy Dinsmore pant a little as she entered it. But how interesting it was. Even the leaves of her Venetian plants were fascinating. Thick and leather-like, thin and dry and hard like parchment, hanging in heavy serpentine coils, are bristling, pointed, and sharp as so many spears. And their coloring ranged from cerise through a silky taupe and indigo, around to an angry, bright metallic blue. As for the flowers? Amy Dinsmore had never seen anything like them. All you could do was stand in front of them with your mouth open and stare. When she wasn't looking at her Martian succulents, they were her favorite of anything she grew. She halted in front of the plant Robert had sent her last. How could anybody think this poor little dried up thing could be harmful? It was a mere bundle of desiccated stems, with only a tiny new leaf or two to indicate that it was alive. It looked better than yesterday, though. Amy brushed a few dead flies from the ledge behind it into her hand and threw them into the composter. She liked to have things neat. Now, what should she cook as a surprise for Robert? She was fond of sweet things, of course, but it always seemed to her that he praised her meat dishes and entrees most. He liked her cooking so much because her roast turkeys and grilled steaks had a crust on them. Electronically cooked food was quick to prepare, and it might be as good for you as they said it was, but outside looked like the inside, and it all tasted flavorless and gray. What was the use of saving time in cooking if you ended up with food that wasn't any fun to eat? You aren't looking well, Amy, Captain Bjornsson said three or four weeks later. He looked at her with the critical attention of an old friend. What's the matter? Amy Dinsmore shook her head. She picked up one of those brightly colored hexagons. They had been playing a desultory game of Marula in the airy coolness of the side Soa, and fiddled with it. I haven't been sleeping well, she confessed at last. I've had such unpleasant dreams, horrid things. What about, Jornton asked, that blasted plant? Honestly, Amy, it looks like some kind of spider to me. No. I don't know why you can't leave my Venusian rambler alone. Robert told me it was a very valuable plant, rare even in its own habitat. It's doing so nicely, too. I'm sorry, Bjornsen apologized. Forget it. Go on. Tell me about your dreams. Well, on Tuesday, or was it Wednesday? No, it must have been Tuesday because that was the day after I flew over to Hartford. I was down by the hothouse and I found the most unpleasant thing beside the path. She shuddered. I've been dreaming about it ever since. What was it? Bjornsson urged. Oh, uh, I guess there must have been a rabbit once. One of the wild ones. Only, it was nothing except some fur and some bones. Not decayed, Jalmar, you understand, just gone. I can't imagine what had happened to it. Better see a mental hygienist, the captain advised after a pause. Nightmares can be very serious. The next morning, very early, Amy turned on the floor with unsteady fingers. What a horrid dream it had been. She could hardly believe that it hadn't been real and that she was safe and sound in her own bedroom after all. Outside, the noise that had awakened her, the jagged unearthly caterwauling of a couple of tomcats promenading in the moonlight came again. Ordinarily, it was a noise Amy disliked very much the poor things always sounded as if they were in deadly agony. But now, she was glad to hear it. Heavens. If it hadn't been for those cats crying and waking her up, she might still be asleep and dreaming. Dreaming about. About. Blood. She turned the ceiling selected to summer sky, lay back on her pillow, and tried to relax. It was her favorite of all the ceilings her bedroom had. So lovely and calm and blue. And right now, she needed something lovely and calm. One thing was sure, she wasn't going to stand this much longer. She didn't believe in pampering herself, but if she had that dream once more, she was going to take Bjornsson's advice and see a mental hygienist. Gradually, Amy's nerves began to quiet. The cats had grown quiet too, except for an occasional outburst of sun like lightning made audible. Her thoughts drifted lazily from Robert to her soap carvings. After a while, she went to sleep. The morning was sunny and bright, and she felt almost ashamed of herself for having let a dream affect her so seriously. She had finished her inspection of the hot house and the cyclant growing shed, and had started back to the house when she came on a bundle, lying by the hot house wall. At first she didn't recognize it for what it was, and stooped over it, poking at it with a stick. After an instant, she straightened, nauseated remembering where she had last seen that ginger-colored fur. The bundle was the not-very-bulky remains, bones and some patches of hide, of a cat. Hadn't there been some pieces of white fur, too? Of two cats. She'd better call Jamar. It might be dangerous. There must be some wild animal living near her hothouse. A lynx, or a ferret, or wildcat, or stoat. Goodness, it was quite frightening. On the other hand, Robert would be in port in a couple days. She'd wait for Robert. Robert was so comforting. If only she didn't have more of those dreams. Despite her apprehensions, her next night's slumber was profound and sweet. She hadn't felt so rested and refreshed in weeks. She put the Somni spray Maybe if she'd thought to use it before, she wouldn't have had those horrid nightmares back in the closet and decided that she'd do some soap carving after breakfast. She felt in the mood for it, and Robert would be disappointed if she didn't have something new to show him that she'd carved since he had last been in port. Besides, she might be able to think of a special dish she wanted to make for him while she was working. The meal concluded. She got out her set of modeling knives and a couple of cakes of soap. What should she make? A statuette? A plaque? A plaque in low relief? A plaque of a flower? Somehow, she didn't want to think about animals right now. She had sketched in the flower and was beginning to pick it out carefully from the background when it occurred to her that she hadn't been down to the hot house this morning to see her plants. Why, that would never do. She mustn't neglect them. It was terribly important. Important. Her head hurt. How dizzy she felt. She'd better go at once. Cake of soap in one hand, knife in the other, panting a little. Amy set out towards her plants in a stumbling run. She was halfway to the hothouse before it occurred to her to question the impulse which had taken her incontinently from her carving and set her in blind motion toward the hothouse. And by then, it was too late. She was no longer a free agent in any sense of the term. The mental grip which had taken the rabbit and the cat to their death had tightened on her inescapably. Remote from her body, in a glassy paralysis of fear and impotence, Amy watched her feet moving briskly down the path. Oh, if she could only cry out, call Jamar! She felt the muscles of her throat straining, but no sound came out. And now she was standing before the hothouse, and her hand had opened the door. The rambler was waiting for her, very slow like a man flexing his arm. It reached out one of the stocky branches towards her, Amy saw that at the end of the branch, well hidden under the dark green, glossy leaves was a slender translucent hollow thorn. Amy knew exactly what was going to happen, first the hollow thorn, until her veins were dry, and then the slowly opening maw, gaping above the big swollen meteor wide base, the thick leaves of the rambler had served to conceal. It would take a long time, but Jamar would never miss her before it was too late. She knew exactly what was going to happen. The rambler's branch moved delicately over the surface of Amy's right wrist, the one with the modeling knife. The other branches were drooping limply away from the purple-pink of its swollen base, waiting while it hunted for the exact spot. It hesitated for an instant, and then, Amy's mouth drew into a soundless O of pain, struck home. A dark fluid began to stain the hollow thorn. For just a fraction of a second, the rambler's mental grip on Amy Dinsmore relaxed she could feel a blind concentration on its own black enjoyment. And in that fraction of a second, Amy threw the cake of soap in her left hand straight into the rambler's fleshy maw. The rambler gripped her mind again, but it was a disturbed and feeble grip. Its branches began to move around the fleshy bowl they had shielded slowly. And then, in a furious heaving, the thorn which had entered her wrist was jaggedly withdrawn. Amy, her wrist streaming blood, stared at the rambler for a moment, and then lunged at it with a menacing knife. Sitting outside on the ground beside the hothouse afterward, her forehead on her hands, feeling sick and faint, Amy had an idea. Gee on Amy, this meat's good, Robert said. He was talking with his mouth full. I've eaten indigenous chow on three planets. Four if you call the stuff they serve you in arena's food. And it's my opinion, there isn't any better cook anywhere in the system than you." Amy Dinsmore lowered her eyes. She could feel herself blushing through her cosmolac. Oh, thank you, Robert. Sure is, Bob, Jalmar Bjornsson said expansively. That gravy. She's the best cook on Terra all the time. But when you're in port, she gets sort of inspired. What kind of meat is this though, Amy? And could I have some more? Of course, Amy said. She refilled Jalmar's plate. By the way, Aunt Amy. Bob said, laying down fork. After I sent you that last plant, I heard it was supposed to be carnivorous. I forgot to mention it in my last gram. You didn't get into any trouble with it, did you? No, it died, Amy said smoothly. I had to throw it out. Too bad. She brightened.
0: Pass your plate, Robert, dear, she said. This story was written by Margaret Sinclair. Thank you to Ebony Butler for reading this story. And a massive thank you to Tech Liminal for sponsoring this podcast. Go to techliminal.com to master the technology you need to run your life. Join the hysteria, find more episodes, and learn more about this podcast at hysteriapod.com.